Uh, so, thank you for coming. Uh, you are at the first... I've been a pastor for a long time now. This is the first time I have ever done this. Okay? Seriously. I mean, we've had men's meetings and stuff like that, but I have never had the Lord to speak to me like this and tell me that we needed to get the men together and talk to this about about this. So that's why I'm doing this, because I feel like the Lord wanted me to do it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> I'd be at home. Uh, I think most of the people who know me real well know that there's only certain kinds of meetings I like. I like to come to church on Sunday morning. I personally love that. It's a big part of my life. Uh, I don't love it enough to do it when I'm on vacation, like some of my pastor friends do, which I've never figured out, but... But I do. That's I love to do that. I love the, I love Holy Spirit meetings. If the Holy Spirit's moving, I don't care what kind of meeting it is. If it's a woman's meeting or a meeting about the nurseries, I would like to be at that meeting. And I love meetings with uh, other men and uh, other couples. You know, just relational meetings. You know, just being relational for the for the for the glory of God and for you know discipleship. So that's sort of what, and I don't really do good at other, other kind of meetings, so I need a good anointing from the Lord to help me at this meeting. <laughs> yeah, help me, Lord. But uh, so my goal is to tell you what I feel like the Lord's shown me, okay? That is it. I don't really have an expectation to try to get anybody to do anything. I, my job, and I'm really trying to be better at this. I've realized over the last, you know, going through a hard time, you sometimes you tend to, to try a little bit harder than you should, right? When you go through difficult times, you, you know, I, I realized that about, you know, last year we had a lot of unusual events to happen that required a lot more uh, effort, so to speak, on my part, a lot more intentionality than, than what I normally had to do. And, you know, the grace was there for the occasion, right? God gives you grace to do what you're supposed to do. But once... You've done that. Uh, you have to be careful that you don't stay in that mode where the grace is not. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you can stay in a, a mode where you've been through something and you really had to buckle down and get with the program, so to speak, to get to get things taken care of. And then once it's over with, you're still carrying that mindset. Uh, I mean, I'm not talking about being slack. I think we're all intentional and diligent people, but I'm just saying that sometimes you can get, begin to operate outside the realm of grace. And one of the things I think most people who do ministry is one of the things they suffer with is Paul. You know, Paul said, "I planted a polished water, but God gave the increase." A lot of times we're guilty of edging over into that God gave the increase arena, trying to trying to help God bring an increase. And so we have to always be careful that we stay in our arena that God's assigned to us. And so I'm really prayed about that today. That I just want to just tell you, you know, what I feel like the Lord's saying. And, you know, you're the judge. You're the jury of it. And just that's just how I feel about it. Uh, and I feel like I've done my, done my job. I'm not, you know, that whole thing about Mother Teresa... You know, uh, they were talking to her one time about what she was doing. You know, she's working in this very poor neighborhood, trying to do a school on the ground and that kind of thing. And they were talking about that she could never reach the nation like that, be successful and reach the nation. She said, well, God didn't call me to be successful. He called me to be faithful. 
That's what she told him. And I'm, I don't think I'm walking in that kind of mindset, to be honest with you. I mean, we all want to be successful. But I think just doing what God tells you to do on some days, that's success for me. I don't know about you. It's like, I've been successful today, Lord, because I've done what you've asked me to do. And, and I want to, you know, kind of live my life that way. But sometimes we sort of get the, the other kind of success working in us, you know, that it's not, it's not true. But, so, but one of the things I wanted to just bring up, uh, and this is more just observation and for you to pray about. This is sort of fresh. Um, <clears throat> yesterday, um, during the worship time, is I noticed something very unusual that I don't think I have personally ever experienced in in this church. I don't think I've ever experienced it anywhere. It, there was this anointing in here, but it was way different from anything I've ever felt before or sensed before. And what I felt was, it felt like the tide coming in. That's what it felt like to me. It's like the tide came in. Marlon came over and said, Byron, do you feel that? And he started saying how he felt. I said, yes, it feels like the tide coming. He said, that's it. That's exactly what it feels like, Right. And then later in the day, I was talking to Cindy Baker, and she said, uh, she was saying, I feel like there was waves coming in on me during worship. Now, the reason I'm telling you that is because I was asking the Lord about it today, because it was was unusual to me. Uh, And it had my attention, like, what was that, Lord? Because I've never felt that before. And I started remembering something that happened three years ago this month. In this church. And what it was. Was Becky. And that was our first trip to China. Becky and uh, Becky and I. And uh, Sarah Bollinger. And Amy Underwood. Went over on our first trip. And when we got back here. we Our first time we were here. We were, it was on a Wednesday night. And you know the Lord was really moving. Pretty strong in, in 2010. Still. In the church. And. We came in, and we was in that Wednesday night meeting, and I was like, something's, something's wrong. That's, I, I kept saying to Becky, something's wrong in here. I don't know what it is, but it's like everything that we've always done that has been so meaningful and life-giving to me, it just doesn't feel meaningful and life-giving on any level to me. In fact, I'm really concerned about what we're doing. and um, So, you know, I know... Something about me, you know, I'm the kind of person, if you got a headache, you just take the whole bottle of Tylenol. I mean, I mean, I over-respond on everything. So I'm always really careful to, one, you know, you take one pill at a time, won't take the whole pill. So we just kind of, kind of, I think I might have talked to, to Marlon and Matthew and Andy some, but I don't remember if I did or not. But I was really, really concerned. And I wouldn't have said it then, I wouldn't have used these terms in 2010, but the terms I would use today, what I felt then, I felt the tide going out. Okay, that's what I felt. Is Now, when I was thinking about it today, you know, if you go to the beach and sit on the beach, most people, most of us have done that a lot in our lives, sit on the beach and the tide comes in, the tide goes out. You cannot necessarily, unless you grew up doing that, you don't necessarily catch when the tide starts going out unless you're really good, right? And you don't really catch the moment it starts coming in. But over a period of time, you begin to see that it's having an effect. And so I, I feel, and I'm, you know, I'm just 
submitting this to you guys. This is because this is something. I mean, I feel like three years ago. And you know, in the Bible, three is a very important period of time. You know, three days in the grave, Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale. You know, there was a great story about a tree that was planted, and after, you know, the third year, if it's not producing, cut the thing down. So, I feel like three years ago, it's. You know, there was a real move of the Spirit, and we went through hell through part of that move of the Spirit. I mean, real hell in this church. But it kept, it was, it just kept coming and kept coming. But it began to, begin to recede, I believe, three years ago on, in April. Is, is at that moment when we came, that's what we were feeling, and we didn't know what we were feeling, and, you know, you know, we, we let it go, but you could, and so over a period of time, everybody feels the the tide going out. You know, when the tide goes out, people go out. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality. When the tide comes in, people come in. That's the nature of this thing. And so I felt yesterday it could be, maybe, I hope it is, that the tide is turned back in. Okay? And that was the moment that it turned. Now, if it took it three years to go out it completely, it'll take it three. You know, it's probably going to take it three years to get back in completely. But I would rather be in a in a situation where the tide's coming in than when the tide's going out. Because honestly, guys, I'll be telling you, the last three years has been hellish for me personally. I have never. I don't even know how. It's like Lord, one. I don't know why why you had me leading this church through all this because I had I have no clue what I'm doing. I have no uh, an earthly ideal how to get through some of this stuff we were having to go through. You know, and, and looking back, I have no earthly idea how we got through. I know God got us through. It was his love and mercy and grace. It, you know, he got us through. Um, but it's just been, I mean, you know, when the Holy Spirit moves really strong in a church, it's really hard to be a leader. I mean, it's really hard to be a leader because you're walking a tightrope all the time because you want the spirit to move, but you, there's some things you don't want happening, like this, like out of bounds stuff. But you got to be really careful about all that stuff, and you got to know what you know, you know what to let go and what to not let go. But this last three years, it makes the it makes all that look easy to me. I mean, it makes, oh, I'd rather be in that situation any day of the week, you know, being stretched like that than having to, to go through some of the things we've gone through. And so we've all gone through something really hard. And some everybody has, not just us at River Life, but you go to any believers anywhere, they're taught, you know, there's people that went through hell. Becky went to this women's retreat with this other church this weekend, and she was amazed at all these women that were just, you know, had devastating experiences in their life. Uh, a lot of women, uh, women in my age range, husbands have left them for younger women. These are believing Christian women, you know, had left their wives for young, young, young girls, like 25-year-old girls, and uh, it's terrible. Uh, one woman didn't want to come to it because she knew there was going to be young women there. And she hated young women because her husband had left her for a young woman. And she wound up coming anyway. She got, sort of got tricked into it. 
and wound up staying in a room with a young woman. I mean, that's how much God had. And of course, she got healed and delivered of that, that hatred and the hurt in her heart from her husband betraying her in such a... So we've seen a lot of that. You know, I think I've shared before, I've run into like people in the grocery store weeping because their marriage had, had fallen apart. And we know there's, there's people whose things have fallen apart. So, but I think God is saying to us now, it's time, it's time to move on from all that. I really believe that. He's saying it's time to sing a new song. That song is done with. And so, at the first of the year, I had this, I've shared this vision I've had a few times. Uh, but I want to share it because it's really powerful and it really speaks to me, to men. And I'm going to try to kind of semi-read it because I want to make sure I stay disciplined with this. What I saw, I, I saw this vision. It was like, a, like an open vision. And what I saw is, first thing I saw was I saw what I would call the kingdom of darkness. Okay? And it was a terrible darkness. It was like a darkness that you could feel. Okay? Not just a darkness you could see, but you could feel the darkness. And there were these shadowy beings coming towards me in this vision. And I, it, you know, I was like instantly, you know, have you ever been scared where you felt cold chills on you? You were so scared. That's how I felt. I was really, really afraid. And uh, I felt like these, these things were trying to really go after me. And the whole atmosphere in the room was an atmosphere of really fear. That's what, that's the only way I could describe it. It was absolute terror, terrifying fear, and I was terrified. And then something happened that was really weird. It was like out of the corner of my eye, I saw this other thing happen. And the other thing was, it was the kingdom of heaven. Suddenly, the king, suddenly this brilliant light came into the room. And it was like God's kingdom of love, the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what it felt. And I felt the atmosphere of that kingdom was, was absolutely, it was love, it was grace, it was faith. It was all those things that we feel that suddenly that was that part of the room, so to speak, because you can't really separate them physically. That part was energized by that. Faith energized by love. Okay? Versus fear. Versus a spirit of fear. Okay, that, so, and I was thinking, oh no, this, this cannot be. That's what I said, this cannot be. These kingdoms can't coexist. That's what I said, they cannot coexist. And the Lord spoke to me right then, and he says, those kingdoms have always coexisted right from the very beginning, right from, the, right from Genesis. There were two trees in the garden. The tree of life, which is his son, and there was this tree of knowledge and good and evil, which is the doorway into the dark kingdom. And so, immediately I knew what he was saying to me. And he was saying, you have a, you have a decision to make. You have a choice to make in your life. You're, this is a time of choosing. Okay? You can choose the, this kingdom of light and love, or you can choose this kingdom of darkness. But you're making that decision. That's what you do. Okay? Now, we all think, oh, that's really a, a duh. We'd all choose that kingdom of light and love, right? Then the sense came on me is this is where men are. Men are in a time of decision in their life. Men are having to make decisions. Men are having to decide about their spiritual lives. 
whether, whether they know it or not, they're making a decision. Because no decision is a decision. By you not making a decision and a choice between those two kingdoms, you're making the decision for the kingdom of darkness. That's really what's happening to men. And what I begin to see is I begin to see all these guys I know, a lot of guys in this church that I see have been diminished spiritually, okay, over a period of time. It's not one decision. It's not like they went out one day and did something really bad with their life, like went out and snuck off with another woman. It was a many decisions that they were making. And every one of those decisions were leading them further and further and further away from this kingdom of love and light. Are y'all, is this making sense so far? So um, I knew that, that the enemy had particularly targeted men with, with fear and insecurity. And I mentioned that yes to you yesterday where the Lord really showed me I had some insecurity in my life, which I didn't really, I mean, I knew, everybody knows I got a little bit of insecurity. But I felt pretty like a pretty secure person, you know, and, until God began to show me that, you know, I had insecurity in me, and I was insecure about looking like a failure, okay? Worried about what everybody else was thinking about me, and, if, and I wasn't secure enough to be a failure. And to heck with what everybody else thinks, because if I'm a failure, I'm a failure to God, you know? <laughs> and that's really what he was getting at to me. If you, you need to be secure enough in me... To fail. And, and it doesn't matter. Because if you fail in me, you're, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. Well, that's, that's total goes against the grain of our thinking. And so this time of tragedy and difficulty that we've gone through has caused a lot of men to begin to question things in their life spiritually. Okay? Because a lot of men have lost during this time. A lot of men have lost... Uh, jobs, right? A lot of men have lost homes, okay? Some men have lost their spouse, okay? Some men have lost their ministry. Some men have lost their dreams, you know? I think we can all tap onto one of them. Some men have lost their health, you know? And so what I began to notice was uh, men who have no real expectation, Okay, their expectation level is so low that they are they don't have, they don't have no looking at they're not expecting anything because they they're hurt, they're wounded, they're operating in a, in a position of loss. Okay, and so they begin to view they begin to view God, they begin to view the things of God with no expectation or very little expectation. And so what happens is this fear begins to get into their minds because there's not hope there. There's not faith working. If there's no hope, there's no faith. All that's real low. So it's, there's a void that's being in their hearts. Are y'all following this? It's not something that happens in a day. This, this happens over a period of time. And so, so the men begin to lose, to lose their faith. They lose their, begin to lose their spiritual vigor and they don't even know it. Okay? And they start operating out of insecurity and fear. Okay, and, and, and it's almost like they're running on an empty gas tank. And then they become real vulnerable to the enemy. Because then the enemy can begin to start working on them. Because everything you replace spiritually, there's something waiting on you. That's what those, those demons were doing. They were coming at me. And they were, trying to, they were trying to bring me something. They were trying to give me something. They wanted to give me something instead of what God wanted to give me. 
And see, what happens is without us knowing it, many times we accept those things from the devil, from these dem- demons. Now, these were, these were not high-level demons. These were, you know, just miserable demons that make you miserable, that fill your mind with bad thoughts and tell you things, subtle things, you know, but those the ones that sort of operate around us a lot. So, um, I think one of the things that the Lord showed me in that is me, a lot of guys, uh, you know, we're like the breadwinners, right? So, historically, I mean, there's nothing wrong with your wife's a breadwinner. I mean, praise the Lord, I always told Becky, why don't I marry somebody who had some kind of major degree and was a jo- you know had a major job or something making piles of money? Yeah, I always told her you can make way more money than me if you want to. That would make me so happy. I would never be insecure about that spending all your money. <laughs> and uh, but I didn't. Anyways, but traditionally we're the we're the we're the breadwinners. We're the protectors. We're the providers. That's how God has built us to be. And when we begin, when we lose our jobs, or we lose our dreams, or we get into a place of failure, okay, that really hits us hard. I mean, it hits us real hard, because there's something talking to us and telling us, like, you know, you're a failure. You're a failure. You, you've let your family down. Let, see, that was what was going on with me. I didn't really get into all that yesterday, but the enemy was telling me, you're just a failure, man. Look at, I mean, your kids don't even like you no more. They don't even hardly call you no more, and... You know, duh, they don't got time to call me no more. They're grown, you know. They've got their own lives. But you, you don't think right about those things. And so that's what I've seen. Now, I, I, there was one guy in particular that got in this church who at one time I've seen God heal a lot of people through that guy's prayers. That guy is so ate up with fear right now, he cannot hardly. He's, it's aging him, physically aging him. Because he's being consumed by fear. And if you try to talk to him, you can't really talk to him about it directly because he has a million excuses. Okay? And, you know, he has all these excuses that are all in the Bible that, that are unqualified excuses. I don't have time for God anymore. I don't have time for this. I don't have time. I got this. I got that. See, that's a normal, a normal lie, you know, that we tell ourselves or we believe that we don't really have time for the Lord, but at one time he had a lot of time for the Lord, you know, and so he's got this deception working in his life now, and it's really, really sort of tragic, really, I think, because this guy's really a, a tremendous person. Okay, so I had this dream, I know it applies to women, or this vision, I know it applies to women, and I felt really stirred about this when I had it. I felt like, well, I've got to talk to the men in our church about this, because I'm going to try to encourage them and try to like, hey, guys, listen, we've got to pay attention. This is what's happening to us right now. Make some, be intentional with your life. Start making some choices. Start really looking at your life where you are spiritually. That was sort of my thinking then. And then I had a dream, okay, that I knew immediately when I woke up from the dream, I was like, oh, that dream's about that vision, which that has never happened to me in my entire life, ever. I've never had a dream about a vision. Okay, I've had dreams about lots of things, but not about a vision. And here's the way the dream went. I was in this place, and the Holy Spirit said, let's go look at the kingdom of darkness. I'm going to take you over there and show you some things about it. Okay? So I went into this, to, the, to the kingdom of darkness with the Holy Spirit. Okay? First thing I saw 
is I saw these, these, what the Bible calls powers and principalities and rulers in the heavenly places. Okay? I saw these, and they were not what I would thought the powers and principalities and rulers in the heavenly places would look like. I had this thought in my mind, these fierce-looking demons, you know, that these things were like big, nasty, slimy worms. Okay? And they were all caught up in this slime and goo was just dripping off of them down on to the people below them. But I knew this about them. I knew they were powerful. And I knew that them all twisted up like that, that they had bound. The only time I'd ever seen one of those things was when I was in China. I saw this, um, when I, we went to this certain city, which I didn't really like a whole bunch. I felt really uncomfortable there. And and I saw this, I had this vision of this uh, reptile this that was ruling that city. And it was like drunk on people's, it was drunk on people's blood. And it was acting really like, a, it was like acting like a drunkard. And I saw it just for a moment and I knew the Lord was telling me, you just don't even mess with anything here. You just need to just fly under the radar and, and get out of here when, when you can. Because that thing was, had been there for thousands of years and was very powerful. And I knew the Lord hadn't given me no commission to mess with that. I wasn't, that's what I wasn't, I wasn't there for that. So this was sort of along those same lines. I saw these things, so I knew, I knew in the vision, or in the dream, I knew that that's what these things represent. They represent the, these rulers in this kingdom of darkness. And, okay, the next thing that happened is I went into a locker room. It was a sports locker room. And I looked in the rocker room, and it was like this facade. It was like this, there's a lie here, okay? And I knew the Lord was saying to me that the enemy was really really going into the realm of sports, okay? That that was an area that, that the enemy's really... Now, I love sports, okay? I'm not... This is not an anti-sport thing, you know? I mean, I got one of my quick links on my computer's ESPN website. I go there every day. I mean, I'm just telling you, see, I love sports. You know, I love to read about it. I love to watch sports on television. So I'm, I'm totally not saying that sports is evil. I'm saying the devil is involved in sports in this country. Now, I, don't, I didn't really understand. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you the rest of the video, but I'll tell you what happened to me. The next day, I opened up my emails after that dream, and I got this email from this person about that situation that happened up in Ohio. Uh, with those football players raping that girl. Uh, Y'all know about that. These two young guys, it was a Stubborn Bill, Ohio. Uh, These guys, they were having a party. These are teenagers, football players, you know, having fun. They get drunk. They get this girl drunk. I mean, she's passed out. They drag her into this house. There's a big party going on. People were using their iPhones, filming it, drag her upstairs and rape her, okay? She's passed out, you know. Well, these videos get put. You know, these kids are just having a good old time. You know, this is, a, you know, ha, ha, ha. They post these things, and it gets all over the Internet, and it gets, people start seeing it. And long story short, they, these boys were convicted of rape, these two boys. And they are looking at the whole uh, culture there, and that's, school with their sports because they're a really good football team. I mean, you know, like a big high school, powerful football team. That There's like a culture in that school where these athletes are being enabled to do stuff because they're really good athletes. 
and get away with it, like raping a girl. Even like the coaches were trying to cover up for them. You know, they got text messages, and I haven't heard the rest of the investigation, but that was the first thing I saw on it. And then there was a, another situation that happened. Uh, see, Satan Hill, it's not Satan Hall, but Satan Hill, women's lacrosse team, uh, about a week later, there was a bus accident, and the, one of the coaches was pregnant, and she, was, she and the baby both were killed, and one of the players. And I knew right away, that's the enemy, killing, killing a pregnant woman. And then that thing happened today, I hate to say it, is it was at a sporting event. Okay? And so I feel like the Lord was really showing me that the enemy really wants to infiltrate sports in this country. And, and, get, and first, he wants to mess up young people's lives. Two, situation like happened today. I mean, that's, you know, crowds go to, that's a, a prime thing now. It's like we were talking about that earlier. It's probably never be the same again going to a, a big event in America after what happened today. So I really felt in, in that dream that the Lord was trying to alert us. One is we have children that are involved in sports. I think they should be involved in sports, okay? But I think we really need to, be, to open our eyes up to what's really happening, how the enemy sees sports, just like sports can be a tremendous outreach, you know, for young people, to reach young people, to help young people develop. The enemy also sees it as an opportunity to really, you know, we could talk about the Penn State thing and all that. I mean, you, you could say, we could say all this stuff is just, this stuff just happens, but it don't just happen. There's a reason why things like that are happening. And, and really, God wants us to be aware of this and be aware of what's happening around us uh, in this, especially this big, uh, um, I was going to tell you this, in 1999, more Americans spent $250 billion on sports. That was more than the annual revenues of Ford, General Motors, and Chrysler combined. That's a lot of money. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying you can see, okay, that's, that's all I'm saying. And, I, and, the, and it was in that dream. I knew that was part of what the kingdom of darkness was, was going after. And that we need to know about it. And, and we need to ask the Lord what we're supposed to do about it. All right, the next thing, I went into this room, and, and there was some of us in this room, okay? And there was like this wall... Between us, I was into the back into the kingdom of heaven room and back into the, to the to, uh, to our room, but there was a clear wall between us and these other people, and there was a bunch of other people, and I knew they wanted to get over to where we were at. Have you ever been in an airport when you see a crowd of people there when you land and they're behind these glass walls? Have you ever seen that? It's all these people waiting on their loved ones to get there. That's the way it looked, but it was so packed with people. So, you know, we were there. These people were wanting in where we were at. And then there was a young woman with us. And she was making a decision. And this is what her decision was. There was a young man over there on the other side that she wanted he wanted her, she wanted him. And she was making a decision about going over there, going back over there, from, you know. And so we were trying to, you know, talk to her and, you know, try to, we were sort of like, you know, don't do it. It's going to be a mistake. You know, you that guy, you don't need that guy. He's not, he's not a believer. You know, it's sort of the normal thing you would do. But she made a decision. 
to go ahead and go over there. And when she made the decision, she walked over there, and it's like this door opened. And when it opened, all this mob, they were probably 40 or 50 deep of people, just as far as you could see back, you know, to the, to the width of the room. And all of a sudden, it's like by some power, opened all these people up. It's like they just opened and she walked into that place. And as she walked in, she went from being in color like we are today. To, I, all the color began to drain off in her. And that's when I noticed everybody over there, was their color was gray. They were completely gray. And she became gray like that. And she went on in and sort of just integrated into that world. Well, I saw a guy. He was probably standing by as far from here you know, to the wall back there, and he had this look on his face, and I knew what he was going to do. He was going to make a run and try to get through there, you know, while, and he took off running, and he was running real hard, and he had this really intense look on his face, and then he ran right into this invisible wall, and it just knocked him to the floor, and the first thing I thought about was that scripture in Matthew where it says the kingdom of God suffers violence, and violent men try to take it by force. Well, that was up into the time of John. I, I'm a believer that that, don't, that ain't the way we come into the kingdom anymore, by violence. That man was trying. He was so desperate to get in. I think the only way, that, the reason those people divided was, the, you know, the powers that be divided them and let that woman come back in. And so I feel like the enemy really is going to go after the women now. And... um. It, we couldn't stop that girl. She was a young girl. She wasn't married. She was probably, you know, teenage level kid. So I want to just tell, you know, you know, guys who have girls as daughters, you you assume zero about your daughters. You assume nothing. Do not assume that everything's going to be okay with. It. Assume that there's an enemy out there wanting your daughter. I don't care how spiritual they are. Assume there's an enemy out there that wants your daughter because this was this girl was spiritual. She was in color. She was full of life. She was full of joy. But because of this guy out there that was tempting her, she went back into that world. The other thing I think is, I think there's a harvest out there. I think there's people wanting in. They don't know how to get in. And we, we're, we were not sure how to get them in, okay, at that point. But I believe there's a lot of people out there that God wants to bring into the kingdom of God. I, I really believe that. And I believe he's really wanting us to alert us that they're out there. Some of them are desperate enough to try to bust in, you know. But we really need to know that God has that. And he's looking to see, well, he's really wanting us. He wants us to be involved in that. He wants us to be able to bring them in because we can bring them in. Okay, so that's, that's that dream. The other dream I had was, this is about, you know, a few weeks later, was a group of us from the church. And actually, Jim Hill was in this in this dream because he became sort of a player in it. It's kind of funny. We saw him on the video yesterday. <laughs> Jim Hill on that video. God, help him, Lord. <laughs> Anyways, in this dream, a group of us from the church went to this place. Okay? It was men and women, husbands and wives. It was girls and guys. You know, it was sort of like a, tr- a church outing. And so we get to the place, and it was like a compound kind of place. That's the best way I can describe it. And the minute I stepped on this place, these people were really nice, very accommodating. Had, you know, it was like a retreat kind of thing. They had places for us to stay. The minute I stepped on this place, I got this like, this is not good. I became really uneasy, 
And I was talking, to, me and Jim wound up talking to the leader, and they were just really being real nice with us. And I realized we're in danger here. We're in real danger. And I thought, I've got to do something. I've got to do something. And I thought, well, this is the only thing I can do. The only people I can protect is the women. I can't protect the men. So this is what I did. As I went to Mary Mead and said, Mary, we've got to get the women out of here. We can't, the men can't leave with you because if they, I can get y'all snuck out, but if the men go, they'll know they'll come get us. So here's what you've got to do. You've got to take these women and you've got to lead them out of here. And you've got to go where, you've got to get back and you've got to tell, tell somebody that we're here and that our lives are in danger. And so I said, so that's what she did. She took the women. Mary Mead did. I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it was Mary Mead. She has a leadership call in her life. She took the women and left. And so I was left in the dream with, you know, Jim was talking to that guy, and suddenly they found out the women were gone. And, and it's, then they showed their true colors. They were going to kill us, us guys. They were like, you know, they were, they were enraged at us. Okay? That was the end of the dream. So I feel like the Lord is telling, telling us about our women in our church, is that God, you know, the enemy, enemy we've got to protect our women, even if, it, even if we put ourselves in jeopardy. That's really what God's saying to us about our women. We, our women need to be protected. Our women need to be taken care of. That means your woman, you need to take care of your, your women, your, your wives. Okay? Um, is that okay to say that? Uh, I think this is really important. Okay? Because uh, now I'm going to tell you some things I just wrote down, okay? That's all the dreams and visions I had and some thoughts I had on them. But these, these are some other things I want to say, okay? And I'll get back to the woman, honey. But these, these are just thoughts that the Lord gave me. Is One is you need to own your own spiritual life, okay? Everyone in this room needs to own your life, okay? Because uh, nobody else is going to own it for you. Now, when I was a young Christian, this is something I really learned really the hard way. Uh, you know, as a young believer, you expect other people to come alongside you. That's normal. That's, but there's a time when you had to begin to know the Lord for yourself. Okay? There's a time comes when you had to make a decision that you're owning your spiritual life. Okay? You're owning it. They're not owning it for you. They're not responsible for your spiritual life. You're responsible for your spiritual life. Okay? And, you, and that's a conscious decision. I remember making that decision. And I, I, made it, I had to make it sort of the hard way. I went through a big mess in my life and realized when nobody was around to help me, when I desperately needed God to help me, I didn't have my, my spiritual leaders there to tell me what to do. I had to figure out how to do it on my own, and I was lost, you know. And it was just by the grace of God, he got me through the mess in my life in one piece that I realized at that point, that's when I made the decision in my life. I made a conscious decision. You know what? I'm going to own my own spiritual life. I'm going to be responsible for my spiritual life. I'm not going to make them responsible for it. Now, they're going to help me. But they're not going to be responsible for me. The church is not going to be responsible for me. My wife is not going to be responsible for me. I'm going to be responsible for me. And see, that's what I see a lot of guys not doing. 
is not being responsible for themselves. They may, you may have a real spiritual wife. You know, if you notice, I think we're always going to have women that are more spiritual than men. I mean, I think that's just the way Jesus created them. I'm glad about it, but, you, but, but we can't let them be responsible for us spiritually. Because uh, you can only run on empties for so long. And I think that's the thing I keep seeing with guys. I see guys running on empty spiritually. And you, you're going you're gonna to run out. And you're going to run out at the worst time in your life. Okay, when you desperately don't need to be run out. And I think God wants to help you with that. It's like being like a, the picture I got was like a flower that's been cut, stuck in a vase with water in it. There it is. It looks good, right? It looks good on the outside, but it's going to die in a few days. You know, it's going to die. And, and see, some people are starting to wither spiritually in their life now. Uh, that don't sound hard, does it? I'm not being, anybody think this is sounding hard? I mean, I'm not hardcore at all, but, uh, here's some things the Lord really just, this is from when I was back in the seventies when I made this decision. These are some things I felt like the Lord told me to do. He told me this. He said, you need to, you need to be a private worshiper and you need to be a public worshiper. That's how I want you to take ownership of your life. You need to be a private worshiper, and you need to be a public worshiper. In other words, you don't need to come to church and have you a good time worshiping the Lord. We was in a lively church then, so it would be easy to be lively, but you ain't, you ain't really got anything going privately. So I made a decision. That was a conscious decision. That I'm going to be a worshiper at home, and I'm going to be a worshiper at church. I'm not going to come to church and just sit and watch and be distracted. If I'm going to come to church, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to be a part of what God's doing there or I'm not going to come because I don't really see no reason coming not being a part and participating in what God's doing. You know, to me, that's just like, are you kidding me? Why would I? I could sit at home and watch preaching on television for that matter and probably get here better preaching, you know, <laughs> or listen to the, you know, Jesus culture worship. It wouldn't be as good as Jacob's, but right, Jacob. All right, so anyways, another thing I felt like I told the Lord, I felt like the Lord told me and I agreed to do is become a student of the Bible, okay? Be a student of the Bible. In other words, the Bible needs to be a part of your life, every day of your life, and you need to find out what the Bible says about things. That's why I've been kind of kidding around on Sunday mornings recently, telling little tidbits about things that people believe that's not really in the Bible. Some of it really doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if people believe Jesus was a carpenter. Who cares? You know, even though the Bible doesn't say that, that's just not a big deal. But it does sort of, to me, it reveals to me, like, I believe things that's not really, the Bible doesn't even say them. And so I felt at that time in my life, and I feel, still feel this day and really feel, uh, you know, really encouraged to, to have, a, have a life in the Scriptures. You know, and make the Scriptures an important part of my life. And I've thing, you know, we were asking the Lord this year to send people to us uh, instead of, we didn't, we decided, like, I decided, well, at least for the first six months of this year, I am not inviting anybody in this church to speak. Lord, if you want somebody to come to this church, you send them. And every person that we've had, every guest preacher that we've had that's come into this church this year have invited themselves. Every one of them, every one of them have contacted me like, I, you know, I want to come speak at the church. And there's one thing that every one of them have said, every single one of them, and it's this. 
you need to have a life in the Word. They may not say it like that, but every one of them brought up the Scriptures about the importance of knowing the Scriptures. and being, Every one of them. In fact, when uh, the guy from Poland was here, Becky, the Lord spoke to her and said, what this guy's going to say is really important. You need to hear it. And that was one of the things he, one of the first things he started talking about is, is, you know, we really need to know what the Word of God says and we need to be people of the Word. The guy from China, was his whole message, remember? You know, the, the Word does not contain the power of God. The Word is the power of God. And so I felt like, you know, that I just wanted to pass that along to you guys to, to encourage you, you know, to find a way. Find a way. I don't, you know, find a way. To have something in the Scriptures. Even if you can't read good, if you're not a good reader and you don't gather reading, you know, you can try the listening mode. You know, they, you can get the Bible, you know, you version and all that. It'll read to you. You know, you just... and Or, you know, if you don't hear good, try the seeing thing. You know, Get a video of somebody reading the Bible or something. I mean, find, be creative with it, is what I'm saying. You know? I mean, every, I'm, this is, I, every day of my life, I try to have a time in the Scripture. I'll be honest with you. Some days, I'm not reading it. Some, I have stuff memorized. Some days, I'm, I'm, I'm going through what I've memorized and reading it in my mind. Because some days, I'm in a place where there's just nowhere to read it. I'm, too, I'm people all around me, so I just, I'm reading it in my mind. And so, I'm not suggesting some mechanical. I'm just trying to tell you, this is really what we need to be doing. Because this is really important right now. And I think it'll, it'll help us. It helps us, you know, just keep that hook. You know, because the, the Word is spiritual. It's very spiritual. If you'll let it be spiritual. If you'll read it with a, you know, read it with a new covenant perspective. And, you know, God will give you revelation on it. So, that was something I did. Are y'all okay so far? Y'all ain't getting mad at me. And, uh, another thing that I think is really key is having times of solitude, of being alone. You know? Now, it may be in your car. You know? I remember when I used to work, I would go at lunch and get in my car sometimes and just sit out there through the whole lunch hour just so I could go and meditate and be quiet just because, you know, I, didn't, I couldn't... It was a good time, you know, I was going to do something for an hour, you know, so I figured that's a good time to to do that, and um, I'll, I'll tell you another thing I, that I made, these are just things I did, is, is I made a decision to become a functioning part of the church, that's what I did, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to come to church, that's, I'm not doing that, I'm going to go be a part of the church, I'm going to function in the church, I'm going to find out what I can do, and I'm going to do it. And it doesn't matter what it was, because you know, I, I wound up doing everything but this. This is what I did. Now, I never did women's ministry, okay? And I never played on a worship team. That's the only two times. I mean, I changed a billion diapers. Honestly, I really did. But it was because I wanted to function. I wanted to do something, and I wanted to find out what I could do. And, you know, the beautiful, beautiful thing was is I learned how churches operate doing all that stuff. I found out all what was going on in churches. You know, like, there's a lot that goes on in churches you don't see. So all those were like uh, intentional things that I did and that really helped me. The other thing I did was this, and I think this is really key. There's a man that came to our church named Charles Smith, and this is in the 70s, okay? That was Dottie Smith's husband.
and he preached this message. I could almost preach that message. I think if you gave me five minutes, I could preach that whole message back to you, what he preached, because it was so profound to me. And he, this is what he preached on. He preached on Peter and John Mark. And he went through the scriptures and told the story of John Mark, how you know, he got in that big fight with Paul, blah, blah, you know. He went through this whole scenario. Guy winds up writing the gospel of Mark. And why did he do it? Because he connected with Peter. Peter became like a spiritual father to him. And this is what Charles Smith, at the end of his message, he said this. He said, everybody in this room, you need to be mentoring somebody. I don't care if you've been saved but a day. Go find somebody that's been saved a half a day. You know? And you also need to be mentored. If somebody's been saved two days, let them mentor you. And so I made a decision in my life right then to really do that for the rest of my life. Is I'm going I'm to always have somebody I'm trying to give something to, and I'm always have somebody I'm trying to get them to give me something, watching over my life. And I've pretty much lived that. And so to me, that's really one of the, the great keys, is to have people in your life. And that was one of the things that I felt was a real practical thing that every one of us could do right now, is we could look around ourselves and look at men and say, you know what, that guy needs a friend. That guy just needs a friend. That's all he needs. And see, that, to me, that's what it, it, when I talk about being a mentor, you know, this guy said, hey, Byron, will you mentor me? I said, sure. So let's get together for lunch one day and talk about it. We get together. He said, now, what books do you want me to read? What t- messages do you want me to listen? What? I said, I don't want you to do any of that. This is what I want you to do. Let's just hang around together. And let's just see where this goes. And if we're supposed to read a book together, we'll read a book. But this is relational because that's how Jesus did it. I'm just going to give you what I got. And I think I'm going to get stuff from you in the process. You know, and just, you know, just have that with people. And, just, and I think if we, when you begin to do that, instead of making it some kind of formal ridiculous thing, you know, and, just, and make it a part of your life flow, figure out how to do it in your normal flow of life. And it don't have to be people in the church. It could be anybody. It could be somebody at work. You know? I used to get together with this guy at work. He was a Greek. He went to school to be a, a pastor and knew New Testament Greek. And one morning I saw him reading his Greek New Testament. And I said, hey, will you teach me Greek? He said, sure. So I would go to work every morning, 30 minutes early, and he would give me Greek lessons. Well, it wound up I never learned Greek. You know, but I got a lot of relational things from that guy. It really blessed my life. You know, I really found this guy. So I think those are things that we could do. All right, here's the other one I wanted to read to you. Uh, okay, here's the other thing. Stop being the rugged individual. You need to stop being the rugged individual. Stop living in the cave. You know, you need to come out and give yourself, make yourself available to other people. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, because I think we all, men naturally have that tendency. I know I'm very cave-oriented, okay, because I'm an introvert, so I love to be alone. I could spend days by myself, literally. I, I mean, to me, the dream vacation is to go to a mountain cabin and spend a week by myself. You know, don't nobody bother me. Now, I want food. I'm not doing to do the fasting thing. You know, y'all, somebody else can do that. But I would love to go and have nobody to bother me. I could just lay around and read and do what I wanted to do, take my golf clubs, go to the golf course, you know. But I think that's, you know, we need to stop doing that. All right, I'm trying to get done here now. I'm talking a long time. I'm sorry. 
for talking to him. Here's I want to read the scripture. This is about your want. It's First Peter three seven. Treat your wife. I've sort of embellished this a little bit. And daughters with tenderness and dignity, and your prayers will be heard. Treat your wife and daughters with tenderness and dignity, and your prayers will be heard. I think sometimes God's not hearing us because we're not being tender and we're not treating the the females in our own house with dignity. And we need to start doing that. Because it says, another version says, your prayers are going to be hindered if you don't do it. And they need tenderness and dignity, although at times women can drive us crazy. Like you want to you know, throw something at them. It's just best to go outside and scream. You know, if you've got a dog, keep the dog, you know. And then come back in and act all nice, you know. Uh, 1 Timothy 5, that was 1 Peter. 1 Timothy 5, 2 says, Treat the younger women around you as sisters with purity. And I also said, also with tenderness and dignity. In other words, uh, I hate to say this. I really hate to say this. Okay? But there's been sexual immorality in this church, with people in this church. Okay? So, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about emotional stuff. I'm talking about you know, full board sex with somebody that was not your spouse. And that's a sad, sad testimony. And that destroys marriages. And, you know, when you get around uh, people's divorce, I know some of y'all been divorced. Y'all know what that scripture about God hates divorce. You know why he hates He doesn't hate the divorce, people getting divorced. He hates the hurt it brings on everybody around them because it's so wounding to people. And so... You know, I think, you know, about the women, uh, it also says in First Timothy 5, they treat the older women as mothers, you know, how, however you would treat your mom. You know, women are more, more attracted these days older. At least I think they are not, maybe because I'm old. Because you know? I, I probably didn't think a 50-year-old woman was very attractive when I was 20. Okay? But I'm thinking, wow, these women look good these days, man. What do they do? You know, they're taking better care of themselves. My wife's attractive. You know, she's in her 50s. So, uh, but we should treat women, the women, the older women as mothers. You know, how would you treat your mother? Hopefully you would treat your mother with honor and dignity and you would respect them. You know, you can disagree with your mom. You know, right? You can have disagreements with them, but you don't disagree with them disrespectfully. And I think that's really important to the Lord, how we treat these women. And I think we've got to get it in our minds that if we don't step up spiritually, it's we're putting our women at risk. I really believe that. I'm totally convinced of that. That dream where we were in danger of our lives and I had to make a decision, that was a hard decision to make. But that was the only decision I could make. It was like... The only people that's going to probably get out of here is going to, it's going to have to be the women. You know, we've got to get them out of here. If we can get, they'll be okay. The guys, maybe we can fight it out or something, you know, but they can't fight it out. And we've got to begin to, to be, you know, protectors for them. And uh, so I think that's pretty much what I'm been, what's really I wanted to say. I, let me just, just give me a moment here. I mean, none of this is anything new. So, I think if you, if you and I will take responsibility about our spiritual lives, I think that's protecting the women. I really do. I think when we begin to step up and say, you know what, 
I'm I'm not going to be a non, I'm a, I'm not going to be I'm going to be a spiritual person. I'm I'm not going to be a non-spiritual person. That's going to help our families more than anything else we could possibly do. And I think when we begin to do that, that they will they'll start responding. And um, the women in this church are very hungry for the Lord. I'm serious. They have been praying for weeks for this meeting. You know, I mean, literally, I've had some email me like. Is there any way a w- women can come to the meeting? Because we want to be on what, what God's doing. You know, like we'll probably, probably just get the recording, you know. <laughs> that would be better. But 